Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. We've got a really fun show today. A lot of things that we're going to cover. Not just the college football playoff preview. We'll hit that with Ben Fennell and Saturday Scouting. We've got top 10 positional recaps and previews for the 2020 draft with our friend Dane Brugler in, in Mr. Relevant. We've got some underclassmen news with Tony Pauline in Draft Buzz. We're going to talk about one of those underclassmen that just declared right before the show went to air in Arizona State running back Eno Benjamin. That's going to be in scouting report. We've got a couple of questions from you on Twitter and draft mailbag, a ton to cover. Let's get started with Saturday scouting. It's time for Saturday scouting. All right, well, let's start things off here on Saturday Scouting. And, Ben, uh, welcome back to the show. You're back fresh from uh, your trip to Memphis for the AAC title game. Uh, what were your overall thoughts? It doesn't feel like I just left Memphis. It feels like I just left 15 straight weeks of college football. Sure. And now I'm finally, like, taking that breath and saying, like, what am I going to do with my weekend? Hey, you got a, you got a couple weeks until your, uh, until your next game? I don't know what to do. I'm just going to walk the streets, you know, and just roam aimlessly. Are you allowed to share publicly where your guys are heading? Yeah, actually. So we're going to be doing the Citrus Bowl. Nice. January 1st, kicking off that uh, fun day of action. Yep. Uh, good matchup, Alabama-Michigan. It's a hell of a matchup. Yeah, two great historic programs. The first ever showdown between uh, Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh. So there's a lot of storylines Should be there. some good TV with their yeah. emotions and reactions on the sideline, too, right. and more animated coaches. So hopefully our director, Mike Roig, is making some thoughtful cuts and mm-hmm. uh, showing all the emotion on the sidelines. Hopefully a lot of the juniors that are in that game uh, carry through and will play in that game. Yeah, Alabama hasn't not been in the playoff in a, well, quite never. some time. So might be some business decisions for some of these seniors and juniors and yep. uh, kind of protecting themselves and making sure they stay healthy for the NFL. All right, well, let's talk about the game you were at this weekend. Memphis versus Cincinnati. Memphis comes away uh, with the AAC title, uh, the, which means their only loss came against uh, my Temple Owls yep. here at Lincoln Financial Field. But uh, your game ball from this game. Yeah, it was a great game. Back and forth, Memphis won 29-24 in a very rare occurrence where they played back-to-back weeks. Mm, right. It's only happened four times in the modern era of college football. Isn't that bizarre? Period? Yes. Like ever? Wow. Because conference championships, the extra game wasn't always a thing. Right. So you need that in order for it to happen, and then you just need that perfect storm. Their coaches actually called several NFL coaches to ask about what are some of the dynamics about replaying somebody. Huh. And most of the responses from the NFL coaches, don't overthink it. So it's really? kind of funny that they're, they were they're overthinking, overthinking it, and it, the NFL's, yeah. NFL's uh, kind of comment back was, don't overthink it. All right, so who um, overthought it in this game? Well, it's tough to say. I mean, it was a back-and-forth game. It was, right. you know, it was a, a really fun game. But my game ball is going to go to Antonio Gibson, receiver out of Memphis. He got the MVP of the game, the award after as well. So no surprise there. 11 carries, 130 yards, and a wow. touchdown. Okay. Another three receptions for 32 yards and a touchdown. Okay, so mostly carries on jet sweeps, I'm assuming? And no, he's good. lined up in the backfield. They're giving really? him inside zone, downhill, between the tackles. He's a really, really unique player when we're starting to talk about him as a prospect because he's 6'2", 220. Right. This isn't some small gadgety. I could play in the slot and get a handoff. He's a big receiver with mm. a big frame on him, and he he could run. So he, is he a back or is he a receiver for the next level? 
It's tough to say right huh. now. And he's very much in that mold of a Jalen Hurd at Tennessee, transferred to Baylor, who yep. was a running back at 6'3", 6'4", 220, and then turned to slot receiver at Baylor. Nobody knew what he was. Give him a third round pick. Cordero Patterson yep. at University of Tennessee. You didn't know what he was. He was 6'3", 225, and he could run. He returned kicks. He could catch. He has long speed. Very intriguing receiver here, Antonio Gibson. He's got a, a great production this year. And when I break down, let me just find players that have – 500 receiving yards, 300 rushing yards. Okay. Let me find some dual threat players, which yeah. I love to do. Only four players in college football fit that metric. Interesting enough, two of them are from the University of Memphis, Kenneth Gainwell and uh, Gibson. Okay. But when I start to look at the history of this metric, it's all small, dynamic slot players. Mm. The Dre Archers of the world, the Curtis Samuels of the world, Tavon Austins of the world, Tommy Lee Lewis, you know, those style of players. Right. The fact that Antonio Gibson is in this conversation, Randall Cobbs of the world, Percy Harvins of the world, is very, very interesting. Because of his size at 6'3", Because his size and his ability and his long speed and the fact he can run like that with the ball in his hands and win down the field. Right. Very, very interesting prospect. We haven't talked about him on the show, and I don't think a lot of people are talking about him, period. No. But see, he seems like he's got the profile of a guy that is kind of flying under the radar. Yeah, and he's a JUCO transfer, so right. he's a little bit behind the eight ball. And from everything that I've heard about his upbringing was just had a little bit of trouble academically out of high school, not a bad kid off the field or anything like yeah. that. Um, you know, just a little bit behind on grades, went with the JUCO route, ended up getting scooped up by Memphis and uh, having a nice career down there. Mm. No, it's certainly an interesting name uh, to keep an eye on here moving forward. All yeah. right, let's get to your uh, one-play takeaway. One-play takeaway. I want to profile this senior corner, Chris Claybrooks. Okay. The week before, he had a kickoff return touchdown to open the game up. That drew some attention. And this week, he had an interception. He had a nice quarterback pressure on a cat blitz. But the one-play takeaway was he forced a fumble running down the opposing quarterback about six 60 yards. Nice. Okay. So I love seeing that hustle. I love seeing a player open up his speed, which normally you need a big play in the offense for a defender to say, oh, here we go, and go run him down. Right. Which he did, punched the ball out. Then I started digging into this kid. He walked on two years ago and for summer walk-on tryouts, ran a 4 That's it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he might not. Yeah, right. So he might not. Is he a big, his, what's his body type? He's six foot, 180. So a little bit more okay. of an upright, long corner right. with really good speed. And yep. I saw the ball skills with the interception. I saw some toughness with blitzing. I saw the effort running this guy down uh, you know, down the field. Sure. That in combination with the kickoff return and then the the uh, the verified four two five on campus there, I'm intrigued. All right. And uh you know, he's a player I really don't know much about, but he had to step up this week because uh, one of their veteran corners, uh, TJ Carter, did not play. He's the guy we talked about last week. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Um, so I was really impressed with Claybrooks. Interesting. All right. Well, let's get to a guy that really looked the part in person. Who impressed you during uh, pregame warmups when you're down there on the field? So this is actually a Shrine Bowl uh, invitee acceptance as well. The running back Patrick Taylor Jr. Got it. at the University okay. of Memphis. He's just under 6'3", 225. He's a big, big running back. Mm. He looks like that Derrick Henry, Bo Scarborough, Jacquez Patrick out of Florida State last year, the year before. They don't look like running backs. They look like that outside linebacker yeah, mold right. where you know you just think they're going to go blitz a quarterback. But he's actually a running back, really good between the tackles runner with some good power and some good finish. Not sure he has any playmaking ability to get himself out of trouble or you know the real home run speed. But somebody I think could be, maybe be a day three pick or an undrafted and uh, work their way onto the team through special teams and you know the back of the roster. Interesting, yeah. So he, I've said this before. He was a guy that uh, both Darrell Henderson and Tony Pollard brought up to me in February at the combine. And just to say. 
his dynamics at the University of Memphis did him no favors. Hmm. He was behind Henderson and Pollard. Yep. He shows up this year, ready, senior, and yep. all of a sudden this Gets freshman hurt. Kenneth Gainwell is like, who is this kid? He's yep. the most dynamic player on the team. And you couldn't take touches away from Gainwell. That was He was too explosive. Yep. So it was a bit of a circumstance thing that Taylor, who had high expectations coming into this year. And he was he was successful early on and then got no hurt. No question. Yeah, he got hurt and yep. then Gainwell stole the that show. Yep. And uh, there were high expectations for him. He was pretty much on every watch list. Yep. Uh, being a senior and just that veteran presence, people thought this was going to be his year. And then that young stud kind of stole the thunder. Oh, well, could, let's talk about Gainwell because he's your down-the-road freak no show. No question. This was an easy one. He didn't really have the best game. He didn't have those game-breaking plays I expected um, in that Tony Pollard role, running the ball, also lined up in the slot. But he did have a really nice back shoulder catch down the field late in the fourth quarter that I said, ah, there it is. Yep. There's him lined up in the slot. There's him making a receiver catch uh, down the field. Tons of spin moves, too. This guy loves to hit that mm. circle button on the PlayStation controller and juke the friend defenders and uh, spin move off of them. So a uh, really fun player to watch and down the road just note his name. Interesting. All right. Well, let's, uh, let me ask you, too, before we move on from this game. Uh, there's one guy from that game that is going to the senior bowl, and that's Cincinnati tight end Josiah DeGuara. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, did he stand out to you at all in this game? No, not particularly. Um, they try to get him in space at times. He has good hands, seems like a decent athlete, just not dynamic with the ball in his hands. Mm. I don't think he has that extra gear to really threaten linebackers and safeties vertically. He's going to make some tough catches for you. He's at QB's best friend, maybe more of a possession receiver, possession tight end. Mm. I just don't see enough juice and athletic upside. All right, well, let's get to uh, some of my takeaways from the weekend. Uh, started for me Friday night, and I had eyes on that Pac-12 title. Just kind of disappointing because, you know, I had watched a lot of Oregon this year, certainly one of their best games. And honestly, mm -hmm. my game ball really quickly is going to that offensive line. Uh, Penny Sewell at left tackle, Shane Lemieux, Jake Hansen at center, the right guard, Dallas Warmack, the right tackle, Calvin Throckmorton. That O-line controlled this game no against question. a great Utah front. And also, I want to give a nod to that coaching staff because their game plan to really negate the rush from that Utah defensive front I thought was outstanding. Herbert was on the move. They they worked in the screen game. Run game was working really well. Play action worked really well. They kept that defense on their toes, really did not allow them to get into any kind of rhythm defensively up front. So a, a big nod there. But so often the, the broadcast crew, they would show these replays and you get to see Oh, here's Penny Sewell matched up on Bradley and I. Here's Jake Hansen and Warmack matched up on Lakey mm -hmm. Foto. All right, how are they going to match up with Penasini? Like watching all these matchups uh, as they would play. Because, you know, I've, taught, I've said this in the past. When I'm watching games on Friday and Saturday, very, very rarely am I watching them with like an eye towards like the NFL draft. I'm right. just kind of letting the game wash right. over me. And, and that's how you should watch fan. TV. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So uh, I'm you typically not looking. But when they show the replays, then I'll usually like, all right, pick, some, pick one thing here to kind of look at. And my eyes always went to the trenches. To me, the offensive line was the hero of this game. And just full disclosure on the way I talk about the games I go to. Yes. I have privileged access in the truck. I'm watching the All-22, no the Skycam, the high end zone. So I'm able to take a deeper dive yep. into these players as opposed to just watching what we put on the TV as a broadcast crew. Exactly. So, um, <clears throat> you know, to me, you know, obviously, look, uh, Oregon, they came out, they played 
arguably one of their best games of the year. Especially I, I felt the big opponent. players stepped up in the game. Yeah. Troy Dye had one of his better games. The young freshman uh, Kavon Thibodeau yep. showed out. Dude, he is. So he was my freak show for the for the. For Obviously, week. a coming out game for him on a national spotlight. Yes. Oregon doesn't play in front of a national audience too often, but I just felt like the big names yeah. made the big plays for him, and that's what you need for a recipe to you know to be a veteran Utah team. So their left tackle for Utah, yep. Darren Paulo, or I believe he's going yeah. to the Shrine game. I yep. actually watched him a few weeks ago. Got obliterated by Thibodeau. Right. I mean, six six hurries, two and a half sacks in the day. Uh, he was dominant in this game. Um, you know, but you mentioned, I mean, Troy Dye, uh, Johnny Johnson, the receiver yep. for Oregon, made plays. Herbert was, I thought Herbert was solid, not great, but was solid. He did enough. Especially, he against, did that, enough, especially yeah. against that defense. Like, that's all you can ask for. Uh, I thought that was a, just a really impressive yep. uh, performance overall by Oregon. And Utah, I mean, I, you would argue that this was probably the biggest game in the history of that program. I don't know if it was too big for them or what, but they, that was that was the worst that I had seen them. Even the game that they had lost to USC, I thought that they at least were playing with like you know that urgency and like that play personality. They just never really looked like themselves. In this I was game. disappointed with the front seven, yeah, defensively for Utah. Yeah. I thought it'd be more of a battle. I thought Oregon really dominated. Utah's offense was still pretty fun to watch. Yeah, I thought Tyler Huntley really, you know, uh, hung in there and he you did. Know, tried to battle. Zach Moss had a couple nice plays and showing off his contact balance and trying to get some extra yards. Just really limited on the outside. Yep. Utah, it's kind of the Utah team you expect. Yep, They're going to be sure. a trench team and try to beat you up and play defense. Um, but that quarterback is a really good player that I don't think gets enough credit. No, I agree. All right, well, let's get to the college football playoff preview because the, bra- the college football playoff rankings came out on Sunday, so we know what the matchups are going to be now. The, the discussion, the projections are all over. You have the number one seed, LSU, number two seed, Ohio State, number three seed, Clemson, mm-hmm. number four seed, Oklahoma. So I kind of thought, all right, everyone this week is going to be talking about the playoff and predictions and re- reacting to you know what what we saw uh, this weekend. So here's my thought. Gave you a little bit of homework. I mm-hmm. said here are six categories: quarterbacks, run game, pass catchers on offense, mm-hmm. defensively the pass rush, run defense, and secondary. Let's rank the four playoff teams in each of these categories, and at the end we can kind of see how we feel mm-hmm. about the group as a whole. And that's that can kind of be a, an interesting way to just t- kind of talk about the playoff moving forward. So let's start with quarterback, and this isn't necessarily with an eye towards the NFL draft. It's how they're playing right now in right. college and the execution we're seeing. How do you rank this this uh, this playoff group uh, in terms of quarterback play? Yeah, and just full disclosure, I'm not going to give you a symposium on every yes. position. No, we're for not. Every we don't category. need to here, but right now, the snapshot right now at quarterback play, Joe Burrow way out in front, clear Heisman, you know, uh, winner right now. But the tough choice was between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Mm. I think Trevor Lawrence is playing as well as he ever has right now. I'm going to be sorry. I actually kind of thought that you would have Lawrence at one after seeing him. uh, He's playing really good right now. And he struggled to start the year. And now he's kind of coming on. And it's tough to say he's better than Justin Fields because, I mean, Justin Fields was 42 touchdowns, one interception, some ridiculous statistics and production for his first time being on the field, really. Um, so by default, you know, I put in Jalen Hurts as number four there. Yep. But I just think Trevor Lawrence right now is playing some of his best ball. He just really hasn't had the stage to show it. Yep. The ACC isn't as competitive this year. The ACC championship really wasn't a competitive game. He's looking forward to this playoff uh 
you know, these two games here, hopefully he gets two games to really show that, you know, what he's developed as a sophomore. Yeah, I actually have the same exact ranking. Joe Burrow at one, Trevor Lawrence at two, Justin Fields at three, Jalen Hurts at four. All right, let's go to the run game. So the way I uh, kind of set this up for you was the not just the running backs, but also the O-line. What do we see from the run game? How do you rank these four teams? Well, I go Oklahoma first, actually. Interesting. Because I think it's such a misconception about Lincoln Riley spread, throw the ball, big plays. This offense is built through the trenches. Mm. And they started the season as the most inexperienced offensive line after turning over all those guys to the NFL, the Orlando Browns and Bobby Evans and whoever else they sent to the NFL. But that's such a run game focused team. The RPOs, uh, Getting, uh, who's that running back out there in Oklahoma? Uh, Kennedy McCoy. Yeah, Kennedy McCoy uh, involved really is the basis of their offense. So I think that's the most important, and that's some of the best play I think you'll get in this playoff is from Oklahoma's offense Mm. and the design of the stuff in the trenches as well. Very confusing run game as well with the quarterback runs, a lot of the RPOs, the pop passes, really tough reads. Then I'll go Ohio State. I really like J.K. Dobbins as a runner. Clemson, veteran offensive line. Travis Etienne, obviously the home run speed, not much uh, involvement in the pass game. And then it's just ho-hum LSU there, who I think their offensive line's incredibly underrated. I think uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who I compared to Brian Westbrook earlier in the week, that kind of gives me some dual threat vibes there. Nothing to take away Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, just kind of, you know, how I felt like putting the peck in order. So, I kind of went about this in a little bit different thought process, because you're exactly right. With Oklahoma, schematically, I think they offer the most variety and had the most to prepare for. And I also did, in a sense, I think that's the most Important to that team it is. as well. well yeah. I mean, without question, yeah. with the way that they have to play, that is, you know, it's talking kind of talking about like the Ravens. Like you got to take away the run game when you're talking about the, the playing exactly. the Baltimore yep. Ravens. I think you feel that way about Oklahoma. I just looked at this and I said, from a personnel standpoint, I look at Clemson, I see Travis Etienne, his ability not just to hit it between the tackles, but his home run speed. You mentioned that veteran offensive line. You got Anchor at right tackle and Simpson. You got two other seniors uh, there in the starting lineup as well. I looked at them and I said, I, to me, that's the run game. That's, that, that's number one for me. I agreed with Ohio State at number two. I have Oklahoma at three. Mainly because, you know, I think when you look at that offensive line, you mentioned that turnover, all those guys that went to the NFL last year. Look, all these guys, they're not first-year starters anymore. You're At this point, you're being relied on to be the guy. Creed Humphrey, mm-hmm. the center, was the only returning starter for that group this year. But, you know, I, I, coming into the playoff, that's a group that's not overly seasoned. Kenny McCoy's still very young. His numbers have been okay this year, but I think when you look at Jalen Hurts, I mean, he was second in the Big 12 in rushing this year. 97 yards per game on the ground. Kennedy Brooks, uh, Ramondre Stevenson, sure, like guys that have talent. But to me, that knocked them down to three for me, and I agreed. I had LSU at number four. Uh, All right, let's go to the pass catchers. How do you kind of rank this? Man, uh, this this is a tough group, right? very tough. So I'm actually going to go backwards here. We're going to put Oklahoma at four. I think CeeDee Lamb is really the only major threat. Grant Calcaterra, unfortunately, retired from the game. I don't think Rambo and Hazelwood are there yet, although they're really talented players. That's how I see it as well. Uh, but the collective nature of the offense, RPO base, like we were just saying, very run game, pop pass, RPO stuff. So it's not asking the receivers to do a whole lot in that offense. And CD Lamb may, may be the number one receiver no drafted. Question. So no question. But we're trying to give a snapshot of the collective group. Yes. Number three, I'll go Ohio State. I love KJ Hill. Huge, huge, huge KJ Hill fan. I think uh, Olave is uh, one of the more intriguing sophomores or freshmen or whatever yep. he is. I know he's ineligible. He's a sophomore. Yep. Now it's just picking between LSU and Clemson. Let's just go through the the two duos, pretty much. You got Clemson, T. Higgins, Justin Ross. I know they have Amari Rogers as well, but yep. let's just go to the, the top two. LSU, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. 
I'm going with the LSU duo as number one because I think they get themselves open. These guys are good route mm. runners with good speed, good hands, good after the catch. Ross and Higgins are more catch point guys. Mm. They're more long, lean, playing above the rim, excellent body control, excellent tracking ability. But they're not guys that are going to stop on a dime and carve you up on a slant. Right. Which gives me a little bit of pause, especially if translating to the next level, which we could talk about down the road. But Justin Jefferson in his slot role really reminds me of Keenan Allen and Jamar Chase, one of the more electric uh, sophomore receivers in the country here. Will probably be wide receiver one next year in the 2021 NFL draft. But these two guys, I feel like, have a much more diverse and deeper skill set. Yeah, I, I actually went with the same exact order. LSU at one, Clemson at two, Ohio State at three, Oklahoma at four. All right, let's go to the defensive side now. Let's go to the pass rush. Which of these teams has the top pass rush in your mind? Well, you have the best pass rush rusher the best player in the country you get the best pass rush yes. group that's Ohio State Chase Young and kind of an underrated interior group that a lot of people don't know about Devon Hamilton no is question I think Chase Young and I don't mean this in a negative kind of steal sacks from, right. from other players mm. sometimes another end gets there and it's like ah, he beat me to it whether it's a uh, can't think of the other stud players they have up there they had a couple other young uh you know yes, five-star some recruits guys that and stuff that have, the they've future. moved around yep. uh Cornell, I think, is one of the kids' names. Right, yep. I'm blanking on some of the other ones. But then we'll go to Clemson. They have uh, Xavier Thomas, another young, sure. exciting pass rusher there. True sophomore. Yep, still a little bit young on the D-line there with the turnover to the NFL, losing Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, those guys. Then LSU, I think Clavion Chason's a really good player. Just kind of goes quiet from time to time. Um, and I think they have a really good interior as well, Rashard Lawrence and uh, uh, Fajoko as well, the Texas Tech transfer. So, and then Oklahoma, just I'm a little concerned. They don't really have the name power. They don't. They don't have the playmaking ability. They have Neville Gallimore in there with a good yep. first step. Occasionally they'll rush Kenneth Murray as well. Yep. Just don't really have the uh, the playmaking power. Yeah, Ronnie Perkins is a junior edge rusher. Had six sacks this year. He's really kind of their only source of juice, I would say, off the off the edge. Right. So I had them at number four. Number, It was tough for me going uh, Clemson and LSU. I actually went LSU ahead of Clemson uh, just because I feel like you look at some of the upperclassmen there, you know, yeah. with a Rashard yep. Lawrence, with a Chase on, uh, you know, even though he was been banged up, I think you got a little bit more experience there. Clemson, a uh, lot of young talent. You mentioned Xavier Thomas. You know, they've had some other young defensive linemen that were named to, you know, the all-ACC team, even as true freshmen. So they have some young players. <coughs> They're just not overly excited. Experience. So I went with LSU mm -hmm. with the nod over Clemson in the pass rush. All right, let's go to run defense. When you look at the front seven uh, for these groups and the ability to stop the run, who stands out to you most? When was the last time LSU played Oklahoma? I think that was <laughs> Nick Saban's national championship at LSU. He you beat be the right. Jason yeah. White Oklahoma team, mm. but just trying to give a Eyes snapshot of when they've even played. Yeah. Like, um, but run defense, they're going to go Ohio State number one. Really yep. strong front seven group. Yep. Typically in a base defense as well. So that means they're going to have three linebackers on the field most of the time. Pete Warner uh, is a good kind of hybrid player that likes to play out in space as well. I really like LSU's front seven. I like their linebackers and Patrick Queen. Uh, Oklahoma, Kenneth Murray, I think, is one of the more physical and posing presence uh, in the front seven in college football. And then Clemson. I think they're kind of an average group in the front seven. Mm. They really need their safeties to come down. Isaiah yep. Simmons and uh, Tanner Muse to kind of make plays and be those extra hats in the in the run game there. I just think their linebackers are kind of average right now, and the guys in front of them really haven't been on the field a whole lot. Mm. So occasionally their run fits are a little bit off and just still trying to find their way and uh, playing in coordination with the linebackers behind them. So I went Ohio State 1 for all the reasons you mentioned. Malik yep. Harrison certainly a name. Yep. Let's keep an eye on We'll talk about him in a little bit here. Uh, I went with Clemson number 2, and okay. I, I went with them because I think schematically when you talk about those safeties in the back end, 
I think they offer a lot in terms of being able to come down. They're very active, lots of stunts and run blitzes up front. Uh, I think that they're very, it's a very active group. It is a young group, though, overall. And for, for everything we're saying about them being young in the front seven, yeah. the safeties are pretty experienced, yes. whether it's Kavon Wallace, Tanner Muse, Isaiah Simmons. Yep. Those guys have they're played a lot of football for yes. them, and they're very much involved in the run game. Exactly. So I can, I can I get down that. with you there. Yep. yep. So then I went with uh, LSU at <clears> three <throat> and Oklahoma at four. I think uh, Oklahoma, they I mean, certainly with Neville Gallimore, Kenneth Murray, uh, yeah, they've got some of that name recognition. I just look at LSU. They've got that stout nose tackle and Fajoko inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rashard Lawrence is such a violent run player. You know, Gallimore, I think, has that strength. He's a little bit more of a penetrator. Um, you know, and I still need to watch Murray, but I thought LSU's slight edge for me uh, in that And department. one thing I heard a couple weeks ago, Rashard Lawrence and Fajoko, like ships in the night, kind of pass each other in the eyes of scouts. Mm. Fajoko has really kind of ascended his stock oh, yeah? this year. And Rashard Lawrence had high expectations coming into his junior season. Right. Really kind of left a flat year last year, mm. came back for a senior campaign. I'm pretty sure he's a senior, right? He is a Rashard senior, Rashard Lawrence. Yes. Um, and just really hasn't ascended his game. I think we were excited after that freshman and sophomore campaign yep. and just never really took off. I think Fajoko has really kind of ascended his game. So interesting. Uh, interested to see where they end up on the pecking order once it's all said and done. All right, so let's do the last one here. Yep. Secondary play. And this was a really fun one yeah, to kind of great. think through. Uh, how do you rank these two? These so I'm going to go LSU number one. Okay. All right, so they have the true freshman prodigy, Derek Stingley, holding down the right corner spot. You got Christian Fulton on the other side, yep. Kerry Vincent, the, the track star at free safety, and then Grant Delpit. Yep. who's had kind of a disappointing year considering his expectations, but a veteran group, uh, aside from that true freshman who looks like he was made in a lab somewhere, yep. um, but very impressive group. And it was really tough to decide between LSU and Ohio State because Ohio State, Jeffrey Okuda, Sean Wade, cornerback one, cornerback two in the 2017 class. Ohio State got both of them. Yep. Great to see them both on the field with Damon Arnett, senior presence as well. You have uh, Jordan Fuller on the back end, I believe, still. Uh, I don't know how long he's been in Ohio State, but seven years. Yeah, um, uh, an impressive group, a long group. Both Wade and Okuda are big defensive backs, and that's a reason why they can play base. Yep, is these corners, these defensive backs, these safeties will stick their nose in on the run game. They're very technically sound. They're well coached, uh, and they're not liabilities in any phase of the game. Then we'll go to Clemson. Like we were saying, I'm really impressed with the safeties: Kavon Wallace, Simmons, Muse, AJ Terrell at the cornerback spots. Uh, a guy that's been on the field quite a bit, and then. Oklahoma, again, not really a lot of names on that back end. I like that kid Motley at the one corner yep. spot. Had a good start to the season, a little bit inconsistent, has trouble finding the ball down the field, has made some big plays to get you excited about. Um, but you thought this was going to be the year that Oklahoma had a dominant defensive presence, and it started to, to turn that way the first couple of weeks. And then they reverted back to kind of that Big 12-ish style yep. of being a little bit loose and uh, you know playing out in space there in the Big 12. So... It's just tough to uh, – nothing against Oklahoma and the pass rush and the secondary play, but when you look at LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, yeah. it's not so bad being number four. I mean, uh, Oklahoma has had seven picks this year. Uh, still the best pass defense in terms of numbers in the Big 12. No question. But, yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're just not getting the turnovers and the big plays that they would want on the back end. So I had them at number four. You had LSU at one. I had them at three, mm. mainly because I feel like that, that group as a whole – Underperforming just a little bit yeah. when you when you look at Delpit, you know Fulton hasn't been great from the start to finish this year. I think Vincent, they've all got tools, and they're all we're not talking about them as prospects, just in terms of execution. You look at some of these games this year, LSU's given up a, a lot of yards, a lot of yeah. yards. Um, you know, I, I kind of look at LSU and say, okay, uh, you know, if they get into a shootout with an Ohio State, they get into a shootout with a Clemson. 
it's going to be a shootout. Like I don't think yeah. they, they've got that, that stopping power and, on the back end. And the end. tool set conversation is interesting because we've talked about this a little bit uh, off camera as well. We like Christian Fulton. He looks like a press corner. Right. We think he's more suited to be an off corner. Yep. And kind of struggles in press and turning and running. And then Kerry Vincent, track speed, might be one of the fastest players in college football. I'm not sure, so sure he's that good at football. Right. Dynamic athlete, yes. very fast. Where does he play at the next level? Is he a corner? Can he play nickel? Is he a free safety? Yep. Uh, positional fit, skill set, talented players, but they have some holes in their game. Yeah, Stingley certainly seems like he's the, he's the real no deal. No question. Yeah, he's um, impressive. So I went Clemson 2, and I went Ohio State 3 for all the reasons you mentioned. Ohio State uh, full of some studs there on the back end. All right, so... We're done the group. Now I figure I, let's just kind of add it up. And this is this is kind of the fun part is stacking it up. You have no idea how this went. No, I didn't bring uh, I didn't bring the calculator. No, so, so I did that that calculation for you. So just just off your scores. Yep. All right. And so I'm going to do this golf golf style. The, the highest score is the the is, worst team. Okay. Uh, Oklahoma 20 points. They're in fourth place for you. Okay. Clemson 16 points. They're in third place. Then you had a tie at number one with really? LSU and Ohio State at 12. Interesting. All right, so I did mine separately. <clears throat> Oklahoma at fourth uh, with 23 points. LSU third with 14 points. Clemson third play, or second place with 12. Ohio State led the way for me with 11. Then I said, all right, I'll total these up and see how we felt about them as a group. Oklahoma at four. Clemson at three. LSU at two. Ohio State at one. Interesting. So we'll see how this plays That's out. That's kind of a fun little exercise. There's, there's there. an exercise. Yeah, yeah so it will, uh, we'll Who we'll do you want to see here. in the championship game? Whew. Just off the cuff. We yeah. didn't talk about this at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we haven't talked about this. <clears throat> uh, sir, I mean, LSU, from a storyline standpoint, seeing Joe Burrow go up against Ohio State is certainly interesting. But I, I find it tough to root against Dabo and Trevor Lawrence. I, I know. I, I, I really I like to see the Joe Burrow-Trevor Lawrence showdown. Yes. But I really want to see LSU's offense against Ohio State's defense. Yes. I want to see a Chase Young-style player giving Joe Burrow trouble. I want to see Okuda and Sean Wade try to cover Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Chase Young back there. No like, question. Yep. I think there's a lot of dynamic kind of uh, matchups in that game. I think that would be a really fun championship game. Yeah. Hey, we'll, we'll dive into the matchups, these individual matchups, as we get a little bit closer. But uh, no, I thought that was an interesting exercise. All right, let's get into the rest of this. And real quick, uh, we have a question on Twitter from Vincent Russo. Uh, I had a question I wanted to <clears> pitch <throat> to you and not say for Draft Mail, bag because okay. you've seen these two guys live. The question from Vincent is, can you guys compare and contrast C.D. Lamb, the star wide receiver from Oklahoma, against T. Higgins, the star wide receiver for Clemson? Interesting. So how do you, you've seen both guys live. <coughs> yep. How do you kind of compare and contrast those two players? So really quickly, body type wise, they're about the same definition. Okay. C.D. Lamb's a little bit shorter. He's about 6'2". I think T. Higgins is a little bit more in the 6'4 range, but both pretty skinny, long legs, not very uh, filled out or, you know, rocked up or anything like that. But just off the cuff, C.D. Lamb, sudden, very, very sudden in everything that he does. Sudden in his releases, sudden in getting in and out of his breaks, sudden with the ball in his hands after the catch. He has long speed and short area quickness to make you miss on a phone booth. Yep. T. Higgins is long, long, long. Really good catch adjustments, really good tracking ability. But he's a guy that I think wants that defensive back on his hip. Hmm. He wants to feel where he is and figure out how to box you out, how to high point you, and then hopefully be an athlete in space. I think that's the kind of difference. I don't think T. Higgins is as sudden as C.D. Lamb. I don't think T. Higgins is as dynamic of a route runner. Hmm. But can T. Higgins make more dynamic catches for you? Yes. Does he have a bigger catch radius for you? Yes. Can he track the ball better? 
I'll say yes. So I think that's the kind of difference in the in the players, and that C.D. Lamb will get himself open, much more sudden and explosive with the ball in his hands, but a little bit more limited at the catch point. Mm. He's about 6'2", might come down to 190 pounds when it's all said and done. Interesting. He could get bumped yep. off just right. a little yep. bit in his routes and his stems. He could get bumped off just a little bit at the catch point. T. Higgins, just a little bit of a bigger presence, longer arms, a bit more of a dog at the catch point. And he leaves a little bit more to be desired with the ball in his hands after the catch. Yep. We've seen some of the plays of C.D. Lamb. No question. Uh, one of the more electric players in college football. So uh, just my elevator speech on both of them right yeah. there. No, that was. Uh, I figured, you know, as soon as mm. I saw this question— let me, let me put this into Saturday Scouting mm-hmm. for Ben. So, uh, Vince, appreciate the question. And if you guys ever have any questions, you can go, whether you ask one of us on Twitter, we can answer it there or here on the show. But the best way is to go into Apple Podcasts and uh, leave us a rating and leave us a question there in the comments section. We'll answer it here uh, on the show. All right, let's wrap this up, Ben. We've got a handful of new Senior mm-hmm. Bowl announcements. We've got Ooh, a bunch nice. of underclassmen coming as well. But let's do the Senior Bowl announcements here. A couple receivers from the SEC. Van Jefferson, who was uh, initially announced for the Shrine game, but uh, will be going to Mobile instead. I feel like every Florida receiver has gotten some invitation to a post game. Well, they were like six of them going to like the Trayvon Shrine. Grimes now, and Freddie Swain. Yep. And- Hammond is going to the Shrine. Right. They're all going everywhere. Hmm. Uh, but Jefferson going now to the Senior Bowl. Uh, Juwan Jennings, the Tennessee wide receiver, also going to the Senior Bowl. Yo, what give do you me think Juwan about Jennings guys? on my team. I yeah? want this guy on my team. Why? He is an absolute dog. He's a dog after the catch. He's a dog blocking. He's a dog at the catch point. Strong, strong hands. Reminds me a little bit of Brandon Marshall mm. and just being very aggressive with his hands, good in the red zone. Uh, there was an SEC film room last summer um, on SEC Network where he was breaking down some of his blocking and how just aggressive he was and how much he loved to block. Mm. Just hearing that just kind of makes a light bulb go off in my head. I want that guy on my football team. Yeah, different Van- kind of player than Jefferson, for sure. Yeah, uh, Van Jefferson, old Miss transfer, yep. highly tied to recruit, son of Sean Jefferson, the former uh, Ohio State receiver, NFL receiver, now a receiver coach, I think with the Titans or somebody, or the Detroit Lions. Uh, really intriguing player that's... Had a bit of quarterback issues at Ole Miss. Had a rotating, you know, quarterback stable at Florida with Freddie, room. Uh, yep. Felipe Franks, and Del Rio, and then you got the Kyle Trask, and then Emory Jones. And it's tough to evaluate receivers, and you have all those different quarterbacks yep. in there. Um, but he's a talented kid. Go put his Vanderbilt tape on last year. Car- right. Carved up Jawan Williams yep. on a slant and then mm. took it to the house if you need a little snapshot against an NFL-style corner. Yeah, he's a guy that I watched him at Ole Miss because he, yep. he, it was the summer going into last year, and he was that's when he was there. Was the, so there was, was 2017. Right. Uh, so that was you know he was there with Metcalf and A.J. Brown uh, and that whole group. I'm watching him. Height and speed are there. I wanted to see a little bit more nuance from him in terms of his route running and his releases, which I was a little bit surprised by, considering he's the son of a coach. But right. uh, a guy that mm-hmm. you know, when you watch him on TV, you see the highlights. You're like, all right, man, I think it looks like he had gotten a little bit better in some of those areas. So I'm excited. To Reminds do more me a little him. bit of like a Devonte Adams out of Fresno State. Okay, yeah, I could see that. Except Devonte was absolutely force fed the ball from Derek right, Carr. Right. You got to see him in much many more uh, reps yep. than Van Jefferson, which. Like we just listed before, they had Trayvon Grimes and mm. uh, Freddie Swain, and now they have an exciting tight end and that stable running backs. Yep. They were spreading the ball at Florida. Sometimes you go quiet for a couple of games. Yep. All right, let's go to another player that you've seen live, and that's Mich- Michigan tight end Sean McKeon. I just watched him this morning, actually. 6'5", uh, just under 250 pounds. Big kid. He was your uh, your uh, off-the-bus guy when yeah. you saw Michigan earlier this year uh, because of what you saw from him in person. Yeah, he's just a good-looking kid. He kind of reminded me a little bit of Nick Vanette coming out of Ohio State a couple years ago. Carved out a nice role at the Seahawks. I'm not sure where he is right now, but 
Um, not really featured the tight end position. Not really featured in Michigan's offense. You yep. don't get to see him, you know, running down the seams or isolated outside the numbers. But he, you know, he's got good hands. He's a good red zone target. Can make all the catches off of play action and whatnot. Um, and I think he's an adequate blocker at the point of attack. Yeah, I think he's going to be a contributor in the run yeah, game. Yeah, he's sure. kind of just like a B, B minus across the board, which. Yep. Typically, can get you a roster spot. Yeah. I don't know if you're draftable, but you could typically work your way into a team through special teams, and everybody's looking for that third tight end to not be a liability. Can you catch for us? Can you block for us? We don't need you to be exceptional. Just survive. Yep. Uh, I kind of feel like that he's gonna he's yeah. gonna stick in yep. the league. All right, let's take the two Washington offensive linemen. I'm not sure how many how much work you've done on these two guys. With the left tackle Trey Adams mm-hmm. and the center Nick Harris. I haven't done the center yet, and I know he's really gotten a lot of buzz lately. Uh, and Trey Adams, I think I did two years ago. Right, okay. Uh, I think I actually did the game he got hurt. It was the Fiesta Bowl against Penn State, okay. the final game of the season in 2017. Um, and really haven't seen him since, since his, he missed the season. And then I'm watching Caleb McGarry. And, um, so I don't have a whole lot from this past season on the University of Washington. I didn't get to any of their games in person. So Adams, 6'8", 334, big, tough. Sure. He's strong. He's got a really strong anchor. The medical is going to be the big thing yeah. there. I mean, he's, you're talking about knee injury, back, back injury. Yeah. I mean, that's two. When you're talking about a big guy, like that, that's two things you don't typically want to mess with. Uh, I don't say he's got great feet. I think that's probably one of the knocks on him. Um, you know, but overall, big, t- big, strong, physical guy. Longtime starter there for yeah. the Huskies. Uh, so certainly someone uh, to keep an eye on. And then the center, Nick Harris. You mentioned he's getting some buzz. He's 6'1", a little over 300. So he's on the shorter side. He's a little bit of squatty. But this kid is violent. He gets after people. He's got really, really heavy hands. Uh, he's got guard center versatility. He started at both guard spots. Now as a two-year starter at center, does a great job getting up to the second level for blocks. He doesn't have great length, and his hands are a little bit all over the place. But from a play personality standpoint, the way he plays the position, he really reminds me of like the pounces. Like that's kind of like the the kind of player he is in the trenches there for Washington. All right, you get BDS, Cole Cabral. Nick Harris, right now, who are you taking? So I actually haven't studied Be- uh, Beatish yet, or okay. however you yeah, pronounce his name for Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Haven't, I haven't studied him okay. yet. I think I take this guy over Cabral. Okay. And I, you know I like Cole I Cabral know, yeah, from we Arizona State. State. Yeah. yeah, I like Cole Cabral. I think I take him over him. Okay. Um, but Harris is a really good player. I'm excited to, to uh, get to study a little bit more of him. And the other, the other interesting thing, Trey Adams. Right. If he stayed completely healthy through his college career, yeah. he's probably a top 10 pick in last year's draft. Correct. Just yes. to give the snapshot and the perspective of kind of what he's dealt with yep. and the ex- expectations and his level of play and really what the injury bug can do for your stock. No question. Yeah. All right, so from two Washington kids to two Alabama kids defensively, okay. uh, Anthony Jennings, the uh, the outside linebacker for the Tide, and then the defensive lineman, Raekwon Davis, both guys getting the call to the senior bowl. Yeah, Jennings is a good player. He's more of a Sam linebacker than an edge player. Yep. Uh, more in that mold of like a Ryan Anderson uh, a couple years ago. Yep, just a definitely. Ho, just a ho-hum, I'm going to set the edge, we're going to stack blocks, I'm going to chase plays out to the numbers. Not a whole lot of juice in rushing the passer. It's not going to have those speed rushes where you're like, whoa, look at him turn the corner, look at the flexibility. He's a really good football player that you don't have to take off the field. Doesn't have those exceptional traits in the upside. You know, I don't know why I went back to Ryan Anderson. We go right back to Christian Miller last year. Mm. Yep, um, right. Christian Miller, number 47. Christian Miller, that him? Yeah, yeah. That's him. Same, same kind of player. Yeah. That Sam linebacker, not really anything ex- exceptional with the pass rush. Just a good player that, you know, isn't a liability against the run. Yeah, the big question for Jennings is going to be that athletic upside. Yeah. You know, does he have the ability where, you know, we don't want to take him off the field, but does he have the ability? Is he going to be a liability if he's left Can out he, is there? He, does he have enough to change the game and make impact right. impact play 
plays, you know, on third and medium, third and long. And I think he also had an injury uh, throughout his career yes. at Alabama. So I just want to make sure that's uh, that's all taken care of. All right, so Raquan Davis is a defensive end in their 3-4 scheme. Yep. Uh, lines up inside, outside, but 6-7, over 315 pounds. Long, he's strong, he's got power. Not a polished pass rusher. The production's been up and down. Um, you know, you go back mm. to two years, two now three seasons ago, production was great. I think he had seven and a half, eight sacks. Has not been. I think he's had three sacks combined since that point. So uh, the production's been a little bit up and down, but upside through the roof. Yeah, no question. He's built different than all those other Alabama trench players, the John Reeds, Ashawn Robinsons, Dalvin Tomlinson. He's much, much longer. Long arms, long frame, long torso. <laughs> I'm not sure who Jim Nagy is going to get to block all these trench players at, <laughs> and, and down in Mobile. They're a little bit behind on the the guards and centers. Right. Just picked up Nick Harris this week, but I mean you got Derek Browns of the world and you Javon know, Kinlaw, Javon Kinlaw, Gallimore, and, and Gallimore, and the Utah kid and yeah, Lake Efotus. They got the two North Carolina kids from North Carolina and NC State. You have to get some higher guns here at guard to, to block some of these kids. Get some ringers in there. Yeah. All right, let's get to the two the two the two final ones, both from the Big Ten. Ohio State linebacker Malik Harrison okay. and Wisconsin linebacker Zach Bond. Bond, I don't know anything about. He's the quarterback turned linebacker. Quarterback turned. Outside linebacker, linebacker. three four, just like that kid in North Carolina, the Surratt kid. Yeah, that, uh, but he's now because he's six two two twenty seven. He's not going to be an outside. He's not going to be an edge player. So he's going to shift inside. So you're talking about. I haven't projection. watched a whole lot of Wisconsin this year. Uh, we didn't do them in person at all with my ESPN crew. Uh, so I'll have to study his tape. I might do his tape in Nick Harris's this afternoon. Okay, but Malik Harrison. Huge, huge linebacker. This kid's 250. He's 6'3", 250. He yep. is a monster-looking off-the-ball linebacker. Reminds me a lot of DJ Williams coming out of University of Miami. Mm. Uh, played some good football for the Denver Broncos, who was similar size, about 6'3", 250 as well. But he ran 4'5", 5. Really interested to see how he's going to test. That's going to be big for him. He doesn't look like someone that's going to test well, but everything I'm hearing behind the scenes is he's actually a freak athlete. You see, just don't thing, always I, see it on tape. I watch him, and I don't think he's a bad athlete. Like, I watch him, like, there were guys, like, I remember watching TJ Edwards last year at Wisconsin and thinking, like, all right, like, athleticism and time speed, like, that's going to be an issue. I watched this kid and was like, all right, like, he's not as athletic as, like, I always make this comparison. He's not as athletic as Fred Warner. Mm -hmm. But, like, maybe the tier below? Like, I, I, I saw that worse. Like, I saw a solid athlete. Like, a guy that's not going to be a liability. Yeah, I don't know, maybe I'm just that much more enamored with his physical style and his finish. Yeah, right. And I'm like not so enamored with how he got there. I'm like, whoa, look at him finish that ball right. carry. And I'm, I'm suddenly putting the movement patterns and getting in position I'm not as excited about. Right. So that could just be a subtlety of his play and that he's really kind of drawn attention with his size, his finish, his physicality. And he's just kind of a ho-hum sliding, gliding on that second level. You don't mm. realize this kid at 6'3", 250 is a really good mover. Yeah, no, it's a, a really interesting group there. All right, well, uh, Ben, appreciate the time here, as always, on Saturday Scouting. This was a fun discussion. Good to preview the, uh, the college football playoff, but we will talk to you next week. I think next week is the big one. I think next week is the Ben Fennel All-America team. Ooh, so love it. you got, you got some homework to do uh, over the next few days. But uh, we'll see you next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Well, great stuff there from Ben. And as always, you can follow him on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. Does a great job helping us throughout the course of the football season. Helps me immensely with our Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade with Eagles Game Plan, which you can check out this week. Doug Peterson on the show breaking down some film from the Eagles overtime win last week against the New York Giants. So you can make sure to check that out on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or the Eagles YouTube page. So keep an eye out for that. Now, before we get to Dane Brugler and Mr. Relevant, 
Just a quick reminder, if you want to give a, if you like this podcast, if you enjoy, if you listen every week, and if you haven't yet, just go and look, wherever you listen, leave us a little rating, leave us a comment. If you leave a question, we will answer it on the show each and every time. So if you like the show, best way to throw us your support is just go on, leave us a rating and leave us a comment and we will leave that or we will answer any question that you ask here on the program. All right, now let's get to the next part. One of my favorite people to talk with every single time we get him on. That's Dane Brugler from The Athletic. Let's talk now about his top 10 positional previews here for the 2020 draft. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, fired up to welcome back to the show our friend Dane Brugler. You could follow him on Twitter at DP Brugler. He does an outstanding job covering the NFL draft for the athletic and the best there is in the business. Dane, welcome back to the show, my man. Thanks, Frank. Hard to believe we're uh, in the bowl season already. The, I know. The regular season's over, and now it's on to uh, bowl season. Before we know it, it'll be all-star circuit, then the combine, and and the draft would be here, so it's crazy how quick it's moving. Uh, well, I'll be seeing you in person here in a few weeks uh, when we get down to St. Pete and to Mobile and uh, the All-Star Circuit. But uh, let's get to some uh, some break. I don't want to say some breaking news, but hot off the presses. Uh, today, <laughs> you put out your top 10 positional rankings as we sit here uh, in early December. And I thought, you know what? Let's have Dane on, talk through these rankings, and just kind of talk through some of the top players uh, at each position. And I, I don't want to give away too many of the rankings because I want people to go and read Read your work over at The Athletic. So if you don't already have a subscription goal, make sure you go check out uh, this article. It's outstanding information. You've got some nuggets on some of the players at each, in, at each position. So make sure you go check it out. But I wanted to ask you just about a couple players here and there. We'll start at quarterback where uh, I think you and I have talked about this a little bit before, but with the Jordan Love news of him declaring for the NFL draft last night, the quarterback out of Utah State. I know you and I are on the same page with this kid and you know his talent and his upside obviously that did not reach that upside this year with all the new uh, supporting staff there or the support system there with Utah State but you have him ranked ahead of Justin Herbert do you feel that that is something that is shared with a lot of people around the league or do you feel like you're in the minority on that side I think that Jordan Love and in some ways Justin Herbert their evaluations are just starting because Mm. so much will depend on the pre-draft process Uh, senior bowl uh, Jordan Love is graduating this month so he will have that senior bowl invite. Hopefully he does accept because he w- could really benefit from no uh, that week down in Mobile practices and all that. Uh, he, you know, his arm should play very well down there. Uh, and Justin Herbert as well. I, you know, I get it. He's a four-year starter. We have plenty of tape on him. But uh, the opportunity to go to Mobile and show what he can do could really benefit him as well. So this, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, we can watch the tape. We can see what they do well. But so much of the quarterback position is mental processing and just getting a sense of where these kids are mentally. And that's where, uh, you know, the senior bowl, the combine, things like that really come into play for quarterbacks. So in, in a large sense, you know, for Jordan Love, his evaluation is just starting because how he performs at the senior bowl, at the combine, during workouts, during interviews, during meetings with teams – that's really going to determine where he is drafted. He could absolutely be a first-round pick, be you know the second or third quarterback drafted. That is possible uh, after Joe Burrow, and you know who knows with Tua with the injury stuff. Yep. But all the raw talent is there, and we know teams are willing to bet on raw talent. And so you know, I, I think that Twitter and a lot of people on the outside are going to view Jordan Love similar to how they viewed. Josh Allen. Not not a lot of people love Josh Allen for uh, you know a, a lot of different reasons. They're you know they have some similar parallels coming from the Mountain West and all that. 
but you know they're they're also different types of players as well. So it's it's really going to be interesting. Uh, right now, Jordan Love, my number three quarterback, but you know it, that could you know change based off of how he does at the Senior Bowl and throughout the process. Yeah, I, I like the comparison a lot. I, I would say that when you look at those two, the biggest difference is, you know, when you look at Love, his accuracy and ball placement yeah. is just so consistent. Whereas Allen, and I liked Allen a lot at Wyoming, he had those misses that Love, at least based off what I watched in 2018, did not have those. I'm excited to kind of dig more into the tape from this year and see what this kid put together uh, as a junior. But uh, let's get over to the running back spot because – to me, I look at this class, and it's going to be a very strong group of running backs. I just wonder, and I know you've talked about this before, about how many of these guys are going to go in the first round. And, and just looking right. at your rankings, you know, you look at DeAndre Swift from Georgia. You look at Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. You throw in J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State, Travis Etienne from Clemson. How many of these guys do you think go in round one when it's all said and done? It's a great question, I, and I don't know because – you know, and I, I did my first mock draft last week. You can find that up on the Athletic. Um, and when I'm doing that exercise, I found myself really struggling where to put some of these running backs because yeah. I, I think there's a good chance we don't see a running back in the top 20. Uh, maybe we do. I mean, you know, never know. Uh, but there's a good chance we don't. And then, so one of these playoff teams, uh, and, and there's always trades, and you know, teams move around. But it's just hard to find those obvious landing spots. I had one running back going in my first round mock, and that was Jonathan Taylor. Uh, of Wisconsin going to the Miami Dolphins, I think I, I mean I love the fit there with uh, you know Brian Flores and what's he, what he's building and and what Jonathan Taylor would mean to that offense, uh, regardless of who's that quarterback. Uh, but you know I hated leaving out DeAndre Swift from that mix, and you know I think J.K. Dobbins with the way he's played this year has worked himself into being a top forty prospect, you know potentially knocking on that first round door uh, because he's such a special runner when it comes to play design, when it comes to vision, uh, his understanding of timing to hit the hole, clear the hole, and then make a, a play at the second level. So, And then Travis Etienne has been remarkable this year. Just, uh, I think he's almost a better athlete than he is a true running back, uh, and that won't be for everybody. But you know, I, I, was, I was tempted to give uh, the Ravens at you know, pick 31 or 32, Travis Etienne, just a strength of a, you know, make their strength an even uh, better strength for them. Uh, adding him to that backfield. But, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. I, like you said, it's going to be a strong group of running backs. And if you don't get your running back in the first round, you feel pretty good about Zach Moss or Hubbard from Oklahoma State or, you know, Edwards Hilaire, what he's done at LSU. He has 50 catches this year. Yep. While he was also averaging 6.5 yards per carry in the SEC, leads the conference in touchdowns. So, you know, it, it's something that uh, it, it's, if you don't get your running back early, you feel good about your options on day two. Uh, and it's a, it's just a really strong group of all these juniors declare. Yeah, I feel like when you look at the two guys at the top, then I, I think most of these guys, or most people would say that these are the two, uh, top two guys, are Swift and Taylor. It's almost right. going to kind of be whatever you really need offensively. If you need that foundation back, if you're the Miami Dolphins and you don't have that presence in the backfield, you may go more towards Taylor. If you're a team that, you know, hey, you've got a, an early downs runner, but you really need more dynamic presence back there, you need some speed in the backfield, DeAndre Swift, you may value higher than a Taylor. And I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see which of those two guys ends up going off the board first because uh, both are really good talents. Uh, I would throw in some of these other guys 
as well that we've talked about, whether it's ETN, uh, even an Eno Benjamin, who just declared mm-hmm. uh, earlier today as well. But uh, a really, really strong group of running backs. Let's go to the, uh, the the wide receiver class. And, you know, Eagles fans obviously uh, want to know as much as they can uh, about this group of wide receivers. And I think that it was really interesting. Number one, in your mock draft last week, you had the Eagles selecting Henry Ruggs uh, over Jerry Judy, but you also have Henry, Henry Ruggs ahead of Jerry Judy in your rankings. Do you feel that this is uh, something kind of consistent with what you're hearing from around the league, or is this a, a personal favorite of yours? I mean, I think both. I mean, there's, um, I think Jerry Judy was propped up as this can't miss top five pick uh, for so long. And, you know, Jerry Judy, I like a lot. I think he's a really, really good player. But I, I just think that he was kind of damaged a little bit with that perception. And, you know, he might not go in the top 10. Uh, I think that's certainly possible to see him off the board somewhere in the 11 to 20 area. Um, and he might not be the first uh, receiver from his own team drafted. And, we, you know, it just it depends on what you're looking for. Mm. You know, we talk so much about these receivers. It, it depends on the makeup of your team and, you know, what you're looking for, because there's different types of receivers, obviously, outside, inside, different strengths. Uh, if you're looking for the route runner, that's Jerry Judy. Um, but, you know, he's 190 pounds. He's, you know, he, more drops this season than you want to see. Uh, if you're looking for more of the speed guy, that's Henry Ruggs, has the competitive makeup that you want. Um, but then you also have, you know, a guy like C.D. Lamb in the mix, LaVisca Chenault, T. Higgins. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of receivers in this mix. I don't think we're going to have a consensus number one top wide receiver, uh, you know, te- from team to team. They're going to you're going to they're going to point to, uh, you know, different strengths on that roster and say, well, you know what? We really like this guy, but Henry Ruggs fits us better or this player, or that player. So, you know, I think it really just comes down to preference. And, you know, we're splitting hairs with these guys based off of. You know what, what we're looking for doing rankings on the outside it, you know it's in a vacuum where uh you know we're, we're just trying to do the best talents but when you get into an nfl war room and you have a roster already in place and you're looking for a specific skill set or style of receiver that's where things change and you, you also mentioned the other alabama receiver uh in that article and you meant you wrote a little bit about Devonte mm-hmm. smith and one of the things you wrote about him was the more you watch Devonte smith the more you run out of reasons why he shouldn't be considered in round one so we're talking about three potential alabama receivers in the first round of this draft talked about talk about smith and you know what grades him ahead of some of these other talented receivers in this class when you boil, when you watch the receiver position uh, as an evaluator, it boils down to two things: can you get open? Can you catch the football? And that's what Devontae Smith does exceptionally well. Uh, he's able to beat press coverage. He can create his own spacing down the field, and he has the best ball skills on that Alabama roster mm-hmm. with all those talented wide receivers. So you know, yes, he has a frail-looking frame. You know, he might not even hit 180 uh, at the combine in terms of his weight. Um, and so there, there are things about him with the play strength and things like that, that, you know, you worry about at the next level facing press coverage and, and all that. But again, it, you know, for a guy with, uh, the ability to get open to separate and then those ball skills, you know, you're, you're going to bet on those traits. And so it's just, it's such a loaded position. I think Brandon Ayuk from Arizona state, I hated he, leaving him off my first round mock. I think he's, uh, absolutely in that first round conversation as the top, uh, senior, uh, wide out this year. And we could go on and on about the number of receivers. It's just such a loaded position. 
Yeah, it's a it's a really really fun group from top to bottom uh, in this class so far. Let's go over to the defensive side, and one name that stood out to me looking at your edge rushers was uh, Penn State's Yatur Gross Matos. Uh, I wanted to ask you about it. You had him at, at number three on your list for defense or for edge rushers ahead of guys like a Terrell Lewis or a Julian Aquara or some of these other talented guys off the edge, Jonathan Grenard from Florida. What is it that stands out to you about Gross Matos and how he could potentially transition to the NFL? Well, I think he's become a better run defender, um, and he's not just a guy that's going to scream off the edge and, you know, either he makes it or he wins the corner or he doesn't. You know, I think he's becoming uh, a more well-rounded player with, uh, you know, using those long, flexible strides to retrace his steps and find the football and uh, make plays on the ball. So, yes, he does have uh, that edge quickness where he can capture the corner, flatten and put pressure on the quarterback. But he can also move around that defensive line, make plays against the run. Uh, he can you know, drop his hips, redirect, chase down uh, from the ba- backside if needed, whatever it takes. Um, and still developing the hand use, but there's a lot of skills there that as a, as a coach I want to work with. I want to get him in my building and see what we can make out of him. Yeah, and then you stay on the defensive line there. And one of the rankings that really kind of caught me off guard was you had Nelville Gallimore, the defensive tackle from Oklahoma, uh, a player that really intrigues me, a player we've talked about on this podcast numerous times, ahead of Raquan Davis, the defensive lineman from Alabama. Uh, what's the thought with that in terms of how those two compare and contrast? You know, I'm I'm not a big Raquan Davis guy. I, I, mm. I believe you are. And so I, that might be... Every year, there's one or two guys that you and I you know, kind of <laughs> we differ on. And this year, Raquan Davis might might be that guy. I mean, I think we both really like Gallimore. Uh, yep. He's going to test exceptionally well. We know that. Um, you know, it doesn't always show on the tape, but when it does, it's beautiful. It's yep. great to watch. Um, you know, powerful hands, the quickness. Uh, you know, he can reset the line of scrimmage with that upper body power that he has. Uh, so I think there's more to work with there. Uh, with Raquan Davis, I, I think he's just a guy who is, uh, you know, he, he won the DNA lottery with the, just a natural size, 6'6", 315. He doesn't play as long as I, I, you would expect for a player with those measurables. Um, and I, I think the, the highlights are, are nice. I mean, I think there are times where he will make some big impact plays against the run. But there's just too many times where he's consistently being blocked by a single player. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I expect more out of him. I think that he has a chance to be uh, – I, I don't think he's a first-round player. Um, I think mm. he could be a top 50 guy. Um, but I'm just not in love with uh, uh, Neville, or with uh, Raquan Davis. I think there are other players I'd rather have before I take a chance on uh, you know a player like that and him you know playing up to his level or you know the expectations when everything's just going to get you know faster and harder at the NFL level. Yeah, I think with Davis it's going to be kind of that interesting discussion is you know like all right, well is he greater than the sum of his parts, you know what is ultimately like you know you've got the length, you've got the athleticism, you've got the strength, there's power there. You know How has he not been able to put it all together? Or is he a guy that you're going to say, look, he's got the ability to be a more productive pro because uh, mm-hmm. you, you look at the upside. It's going to be a very interesting discussion uh, that all teams are going to be having because I think he's got the ability to fit into any scheme. You know, I've made the comparison in the past to guys like DeForest Buckner. There aren't a lot of players that walk on planet Earth that have that body type uh, that move like this kid, that can move people like this kid. Uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see uh, Number one, how he performs down in Mobile. I think he's got yep. as much to, to help or as much to earn down there uh, at the Senior Bowl as anybody. Um, it's going to be a very interesting to kind of follow him throughout the course of this pre-draft process. Last one for you. 
All right, so we're, I want to look at the corner spot. And a lot of corner, corner to me is that uh, we all talk about how great this receiver class is, uh, the top of the class, a quarterback. We talk about running back. This corner group is really, really fascinating. And I think when you look at this group, how they all kind of sh- shake out, uh, it's going to be interesting. I think everybody's going to have different rankings. What I wanted to ask you about in particular Two guys with kind of similar body types. Christian Fulton from LSU at number four. C.J. Henderson, the junior who declared for the draft officially from Florida at number five. How do you compare and contrast those two guys? Yeah, with Fulton, I think he's uh, kind of had a quiet, quietly had a nice year. And I say quietly because Stingley, the true freshman, yep. with as well as he's played, has received so much attention. But Fulton has been that steady senior on the other side. Uh, you know, a guy that... Uh, I think he does a nice job uh, at the start of the uh, of the play. He can play press. Uh, he doesn't make excess contact, but he still finds a way to uh, let the receiver know that you know it's going to be bump and run, and he's going to be in his hip pocket down the field. Um, I think he needs to become a better tackler. That, that's kind of my big thing with him. I think the instincts are there, the toughness is there, but I just want to see him become a better tackler, and that's one of the things that. Um, maybe keeping him from uh, being an, a versatile guy who can kick inside if needed. I, I want a better run defender if I'm going to play him in the nickel. Uh, but I, I think he is a guy that, um, you know, there's a lot to like there. And I think similar uh, CJ Henderson, who he might be the best just true press man corner in the draft because when you just look at him, he has the measurables, uh, 6'1", 200 pounds. He's going to run somewhere in the low 4'4s, four uh, good length. And he's really good for, you know, about 85% of the play. But I just, I want to see more, uh, more playmaking skills at the catch point. Um, and, you know, he's not a great tackler. We know that, um, you know, part of it is technique, part of it is want to. Uh, but as a corner, the reason I don't have him higher than five is I just want to see better ball skills. I want to see mm. him make better plays on the football. Uh, and some of it's timing, some of it's just, you know, being in the right position. Um, you know, being a great athlete is awesome. Having the size and the length is awesome, but you know, you just need to have those playmaking instincts to, you know, it could be the difference between a completion and an incompletion or the difference between an incompletion and and, uh, an interception. And those plays matter throughout the course of a game. And so for CJ Henderson, that's, that's kind of my hang up with him, but he's a terrific athlete with a lot going for him. If you want to check out all of these top 10 lists, make sure you go check out. Uh, you can see them on Dane's Twitter feed, at DP Brugler, but go subscribe to The Athletic. Check out uh, Dane's top 10 list for all the positions for this 2020 NFL Draft. Dane, uh, appreciate the time here, as always, on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. We'll catch up with you here uh, in a few weeks, my friend. We'll see you soon. All right, see you soon. Thanks, friend. Outstanding stuff there from Dane, as usual. You can follow him on Twitter, at DP Brugler. If you listen to this show, I'm sure you already follow Dane. He's one of the best uh, to do it in the, and when it comes to covering college football and the NFL draft. Really love having him on whenever we get a chance. All right, uh, before we move on here to Draft Buzz with Tony Pauline, just a quick reminder, if you enjoy football, if you enjoy X's and O's, if you're an Eagles fan, I, my guess is most of you already listen to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade, but just in case you don't, hey, we had a great conversation this week with Greg Cosell breaking down the Eagles' overtime win last week against New York, previewing this weekend's matchup against Washington over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. You can find that wherever podcasts can be found. All right, let's now transition to our next segment. It's time for Draft Buzz with Tony Pauline. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. 
Excited to welcome back to the show our good friend Tony Pauline from the Pro Football Network. Tony, uh, let's jump right in. We've got draft buzz here at the top, and I want to ask you about the decision with Jordan Love, the quarterback from Utah State, declared for the draft. We talked about him a little bit earlier in the show as well. You have been at the forefront of you know his decision-making process. There was the possibility that he could transfer, go to another school uh, gra- you know, because he's graduating this month and play next year for a different team, but he ultimately decides to enter the 2020 NFL draft draft. Does that decision surprise you? Do, you? do you think that he could have waited a little bit longer, acquired a little bit more information before making the jump? I would have waited, and I mm. would have given him the, the suggestion, the recommendation to wait. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I had reported all along, he was basically set to enter the NFL draft. I thought he should have waited, got more opinions, taken his time. There's no urgency to make a decision right now the way he did. You know, now are they going to play? In, is he going to play in a bowl game if Utah State is even in the bowl game this year? I believe they are. We'll have to wait and see there. Uh, but 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 the over, overriding factor is, you know, it's funny when you look at Jordan Love, his season this year kind of parallels what we saw from Josh Allen during his junior year at Wyoming. I mean, a lot of high expectations. People were very excited to see him play. And more times than not, he fell flat. But then again, as we saw Josh Allen, he entered the draft, became a top 10 pick, has been a a relatively successful starting quarterback uh, in the NFL, likely going to lead the Buffalo Bills to to the playoffs this year. So I, I understand where Jordan Love is coming from. I would have told, you know, just get some opinions, take your time, take a deep breath. But I mean, it shouldn't come as a surprise. As I reported back in October, from what I was hearing, he had representation already set up, and he was ready to go for the go into the NFL, make the jump. Yeah, he's a guy. You know, we've talked about him a lot over the you know, going back to the summer. He's yeah. got every trait from a physical standpoint. I mean, it's not just oh, look, he's a big kid who can throw it a mile. He's got outstanding accuracy, outstanding touch. His ball placement is phenomenal at all three levels of the field. He was just so impressive uh, watching him on film last year as a sophomore. We've talked about so much about the turnover, the coaching staff leaves, the top receivers leave, the top running backs, the top yeah. offensive linemen. I mean, he lost. So so much of that supporting cast from a year ago, and that resulted in 17 touchdowns to 16 interceptions this year, which that's obviously not an ideal number when you're talking about touchdown and interception ratio and just overall production was just not what he would have wanted. But I think when you look at the film, you could see a guy that's got all the traits. It's going to be a very fascinating case study just in terms of studying him uh, going into this NFL draft and seeing how high he goes. We will, I'm, I'm sure, see him next month at the Senior Bowl down in Mobile. And, 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 you know, you could tell from that very first game against Wake Forest that he was pressing. He was mm. trying to take too much on his shoulders because of, of what you mentioned, the graduation and the affection of so many talented skilled players and some of the offensive linemen to the NFL. So you could tell right there he was just trying to do a little bit too much, sort of a similar way with Josh Allen. I go yeah. back to Josh Allen, his junior year at Wyoming. It was a similar sort of situation. And I think what you really got to do to properly evaluate Jordan Love is – you just can't base it on this year. You got to go back and you got to look at that uh, sophomore film. You got to look at the film from 2018, as you mentioned. Mm, yeah, he's going to be a very interesting case study, like I said. All right, let's get into some of these other guys who have declared for the draft because we've got some other official announcements uh, that have come forth. One player we talked about last week, uh, you know, with the firing of Steve Adazio at Boston College, uh, the promotion uh, for A.J. Dillon. Uh, he's jumping from college to the NFL, the running back for BC. Uh, what are the thoughts around the scouting community with A.J. Dillon? He's a guy I have not studied yet. I know he's been very productive for them, a big back, some pretty uh, eye-popping numbers from a, 
uh, time speed standpoint from what has been reported. So I'm interested to see uh, how he tests in February. But uh, this is a guy I have not studied. I'm interested to get uh, your thoughts. You know, 15, 20 years ago, A.J. Dillon is a top 45 pick if he's not a first-round pick. Mm. But I think these days he's a late, he's a last-day pick because he's basically a one-dimensional downhill between-the-tackles type of runner. He's not a bad receiver out of the backfield, but he's not a great receiver. He's a grinded-out type of guy that's a great short-yardage runner. He's got solid speed for his size, but you got to keep him in between the tackles. He struggles getting around the corner. He really shows no ability around the perimeter. He's got limited versatility. Now, you know, there is a, a spot for a player like A.J. Dillon at the next level. And if you basically design your offense, he's a guy who could potentially start. But I just don't think he's a top 100 pick in the NFL draft. And that's what scouts are telling me. Tony, back in, I want to say it was late September, maybe early October, uh, one of the first underclassmen declaration, one of the first reports that we saw uh, was you coming on this podcast and talking about UCF wide receiver Gabe Davis and how he was very likely to enter the 2020 draft. Their season ends. He does exactly that. He decided to throw his name into the draft class. What, uh, what are people saying about Gabe Davis, the tall but explosive wide receiver from UCF? Yeah, no surprise here. In fact, if you go back to August, one of our first podcasts when we were talking about the American Athletic Conference, I said that Davis, at that time I graded him as a second-round pick, was my number one prospect from that conference. I think what Gabe Davis is, yeah, he's an incredible receiver. I mean, he is a game-changing, game-controlling receiver. The, the, the numbers aren't gaudy, but that's because, primarily because Central Florida oftentimes was so far ahead of the opponents going into the second half that it didn't need Gabe Davis. But I would recommend anybody, go back and watch that Stanford film. You know, yep. everyone talks about Stanford cornerback Paulson Adebo. I, I mean, Gabe Davis beat Paulson Adebo like a drum. I, I mean, it was sad what he did to him. I think the bottom line with Gabe Davis, I recently did a mock draft over a pro football network about uh, a month ago. I had Gabe Davis sliding into the late part of round one. That tells you my affection for him. But I think the reality is the faster he runs, the higher he's going to be drafted. I don't know that he's faster than the guy who's going to run four five two four five three, which probably means you're looking at the early part of round two. But if he pops off some good 40 times, if he pops off some good shuttle times, I think with his size, with his speed, with his just incredible pass-catching skill, you watch this guy on film. He plays with great balance and body control. He gets up. He wins out for the contested throws. He keeps the playing balance running after the catch. It's just a matter of, you know, our teams, how high are teams going to draft a guy like that who maybe runs four five two four five three in the forty? Yeah, he's a guy watching him on film. Reminded me a lot of Dante Moncrief coming out of Ole Miss. You know, with that size speed combination. And I know Moncrief uh, he turned into a bit of a journeyman in the NFL and hasn't really worked out. But I'm talking about him coming out of Ole Miss was a very very intriguing prospect. I think Gabe Davis has a lot of similar traits. All right, let's talk about another receiver that you've discussed a lot on this show, and that's Oregon State wideout Isaiah Hodgins. He will be entering. It looks like the NFL draft. What are your thoughts on Hodgins, and what are people saying about him around the draft community? Hodgins is going to be overrated, is being overrated right now by people on the outside, people on the internet. You know, they talk about him as a top 45 pick. You talk to scouts, they say he's a sixth, uh, fifth or sixth round choice. He's a terrific receiver. He's got outstanding length. He catches the ball very well. He's a terrific red zone target. But the fact is he's not fast. He's not quick. You'll watch the film. He struggles releasing off the line of scrimmage. He's one of those bigger receivers, taller receivers that wins out on the college level because he's so much bigger than everyone else. 
but that does not project all that well to the next level. I talk with a couple of people who say that they think he's going to run in the four sixes or he's mm. a four six type of guy during the combine. I talked to someone who was at a game earlier this year where they watched Hodgins and they said, you know what, you're going to have to put 20 pounds on him and turn him into a move tight end because this guy can't run. And I think that's the situation with Hodgins. I think he's a guy who's going to run the high four fives, low four sixes. I think he's a day three guy. I like him as a pass catcher. He's a good receiver. He's just not a great athlete. And again, going back to A.J. Dillon, there's a place for a guy like Isaiah Hodgins in the NFL. There's just not a place for that type of guy in the you know first three or four rounds of the NFL draft. Well, let's stay in the Pac-12 because another guy that a lot of people were excited about in terms of his decision to enter this draft is Washington tight end Hunter Bryant. We talked about him last week as about a possibility to enter the draft with Chris Peterson stepping down as head coach. He follows through and enters this class. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, basically uh, a uh, contrasting style to Drew Sample the Washington uh, Husky uh, tight end that was taken in the second round by the Cincinnati Bengals, where Sample was your bigger-bodied uh, blocking tight end who was also a good pass catcher. Hunter Bryant is basically a big receiver in, in a tight end's body. I mean, he gets down the field. He catches the ball very well. He's very athletic. He's more of your move tight end. He's a guy that you're not really going to rely on to block, although it's not because of lack of effort. He just doesn't have the blocking strength. With the poor class of tight ends that will, or the poor crop of tight ends that will be available in the 2020 NFL draft. If Hunter Bryant turns in a few uh, good pre-draft workouts, I could absolutely see him securing a spot during the second day of the draft, possibly in the second round. Yeah, he's a, a player that's really, really athletic, really fun to watch, excited to do more uh, work on him. I did watch him a little bit over the summer. All right, uh, let's get to another player, a guy that's been mocked often to the Eagles throughout this season, uh, and that's Florida cornerback C.J. Henderson, a guy that I've watched on film and was really, really intrigued by over the summer. I think he's got all the physical traits. He made it official. He's leaving Gainesville, now entering the NFL. What are people saying about C.J. Henderson? Because it seems like the internet, you know, the, the people in the media are a little bit all over the place. Some people see him as a first round pick some people not so much you know they question the tackling what are people in the league saying tackling and the ability to make plays with his back to the ball i mean it's basically he's going to have to refine his game he's very rough around the edges like you said he's a tremendous athlete he's got all the physical skills to be a number two cornerback if not a number one cornerback in the league to be a starter basically but he's got to refine some of his techniques and i think what's going to happen is he could be the second or third cornerback taken off the draft, depending on who else enters, in large part because it, it kind of falls off. Uh, it, it kind of really falls off the cliff after Jeff Okuda of Ohio State. I think he's going to be a top 32 pick. I think he's going to run very well. But again, I think he's a guy that there may be some, well, from what I'm hearing is they expect some bumps in the road early in his NFL career until he kind of kind of finally pulls the pieces together. Mm, yeah, he's a, a really, really intriguing player. Uh, excited to watch more from this season as well. But uh, let's get to another SEC corner, another guy that you were all over. You talked about Mississippi State cornerback uh, Cameron Dantzler uh, and his possibility of entering the draft. You reported that over a month ago. Now he makes it official and will leave the Bulldogs and is going to the pros. Here is a guy in Dantzler who kind of flew under the radar screens, but there were some scouts who over the summer gave Dantzler a mid-first-round choice. That's how highly he's thought of in the scouting community. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the ball skills. Want to see how he tests. But there were a lot of people in the scouting community excited about Dantzler. He's got a few things he's got to work on in his game. It was, it's kind of tough to scout him at times because opponent, opposing quarterbacks – purposely stayed away from him and were not throwing in his direction. But I can tell you, he was highly thought of in the scouting community before the season even began. 
Yeah, Mississippi State has a pretty good track record of putting defensive backs uh, into the NFL. Guys have had a lot of success. Darius Slay, uh, certainly at the top of that list in terms of recent history. Uh, all right, let's get into now uh, what we saw this past weekend. It was championship weekend in college football. I want to know whose stock is on the rise based off the games that you saw from Friday and Saturday. I got to say the four senior offensive linemen from the mm. University of Oregon. You know, when everyone talks about the University of Oregon and the draft, the conversation immediately goes to Justin Herbert. But those four offensive linemen, they have a fifth one who's a true sophomore who's going to be a very early pick when he's uh, draft eligible. Shane Lemieux, this, uh, the uh, fifth-year senior, Jake Han- uh, the guard, Jake Hansen, the center, another fifth-year senior, uh, uh, Calvin Throckmorton, the right tackle, another fifth-year season, and Dallas Warmack, the Alabama transfer. Those guys were sensational against a very talented Utah defensive line uh, that has at least two top 100 picks. I mean, they controlled that game. And this was normal for them throughout the season because if you watched Oregon, you know, we talked about Justin Herbert and how he played uninspired football and didn't look great. But uh, Oregon was consistently rushing the ball for 200-plus yards in every game against good opponents, against, uh, against the USC's. And they really just dominated that Utah defense and that Utah front line. All four of those guys, Lemieux, Hanson, Warmack, Throckmorton, they're not going to be early picks. They're probably going to be last-day picks. But these are guys who are going to be on NFL rosters. Some of them are going to be starters. Some of them will be uh, backups, uh, will add depth. They're all going to be on NFL rosters next September in some form or another. So I think, really, the Oregon offensive line, which has fallen under the radar screen, has who has played well all season, really stood out against uh, Utah and just pushed that Utah defense at times up and down the field. Yeah, there was a reason I gave my game ball uh, earlier in the show. That group was really, really impressive. Uh, give a nod to the, that coaching staff as well, to the game uh, that they called on Friday night against Utah. All right, let's fast forward now to this week's action. And the only FBS game this week is Army-Navy right here in Philadelphia, college game day uh, in town for this matchup, uh, a legendary one each and every year. But uh, there's plenty to talk about from an NFL draft standpoint when you're looking at the FCS playoffs, the Division II playoffs. Where are some players that, that if you if you want to get your football fixed this this Saturday that you may want to try and turn turn the channel and uh, and check out this week from an NFL draft standpoint. I'm going to talk about two players. The first one is actually on ESPN two Friday night when James Madison takes on Northern Iowa, and this is a quarterback that I've mentioned on this podcast before, Ben DiNucci from James Madison, a transfer from Pittsburgh. Here's a guy who wasn't even uh, rated uh, graded by scouts coming into the season. He's thrown for 80 he's completed 80% of, of his passes or better the past four games. 24 TDs to just four interceptions this year. I mean he's averaging close to 75 uh, completing close to 75% of his passes for just under 300 yards. He's smart, he's tough. He has a decent arm. He doesn't have a great arm. He's more than a game manager. He's a guy who can make plays. And again, I go back to the fact that Danucci was a guy who was not even graded by scouts coming into the year. And now there's talk that he could hop into the late rounds of the draft, which is pretty significant. All right, Tony, so you've talked about Danucci in the past. Is there another guy that you also will be keeping your eye on this weekend? You know, Slippery Rock State plays Minnesota State in the Division II finals uh, this weekend. Hopefully that game finds its way on the television. Slippery Rock State also has a quarterback that people have to keep an eye on, that, a guy that's starting to get mentioned in the, in the scouting community. Roland Rivers, a Valdosta State transfer, who's now playing for Slippery Rock State. I mean, look at this guy's numbers this year. 50 touchdown passes, 4,261 4, yards, just six interceptions, is completing consistently 60 to 65% of his throws. I, it's, again, it's, it's, sec, it's uh, Division II football, 
But this guy, again, like Danucci, wasn't even graded by scouts coming into the year. He's playing lights out. He's got outstanding size. He goes about six foot two, 220, 225 pounds. He's someone that when Slippery Rock State has their pro day, you know, in the what scouts usually wouldn't have gone through there, but now you're going to get a ton of scouts to go through there to watch Roland Rivers. I don't know if he gets drafted, but he's absolutely built a buzz about himself in the scouting community. People are very interested in watching him play. Hopefully, we'll see him in a postseason game. I don't know if it's going to be a Shrine game. Maybe he's out in the NFLPA game, but he's definitely something. Somebody, Roland Rivers, the quarterback from Slippery Rock State. They play Minnesota State. If it's on TV, you got to tune in and watch this cat play. Yeah, nobody else. I can't imagine there's other podcasts that's talking about Roland Rivers from Slippery Rock. But, uh, you know, look, who expected Duck Hodges to, to turn into anything uh, in the NFL? Now he's the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers as they try and make a run to the playoffs as a rookie, which, is, you know, coming from the level of competition he came from was certainly unexpected. But, uh, Tony, appreciate the time, as always, here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. We will talk to you again next week. Look forward to it. Awesome stuff there from Tony. And we got a lot of information about some of these underclassmen who are entering the draft. And I mentioned at the top of the show, one name who just made himself eligible for this draft is Arizona State's running back, Eno Benjamin. He's our subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Eno Benjamin, he's a guy that I studied a lot over the summer. I still have to do work from this season, but I thought, you know what? Topical name, just declared for the draft. He's going to be one of the top running backs in this class, especially a guy that not a lot of people are very familiar with. Since he plays out west, a lot of fans obviously not awake to be able to watch him play, uh, playing for Herm Edwards out there. So I thought, you know what, let's cover him. These are, again, these are my notes from his sophomore season, but I figured let's just go through them here on the show. He's now a two-year starter for Rob Likens in that offense, lined up primarily in the shotgun next to the quarterback. A lot of one and two back sets, though. Uh, we'll get some runs from the pistol, quarterback under center. They do a good job of mixing things up from both a gap and zone run scheme standpoint. Uh, he's got pretty good height and weight for the position. Looks f- pretty well built overall in his lower half. Excited to get a look at him up close and in person at the Combine in February. His athleticism doesn't pop off the film, but this guy's really slippery. He's got good balance, stop-start, change of direction skills, and he moves very efficiently, both literally or laterally and linearly. So straight ahead or side to side, this guy's got is really, really efficient in his movement. He's got a bit of a second gear and that burst to pull away from a defender in a short area, and he's got just enough long speed to be able to bust off long runs out west in the Pac-12. Very decisive runner. Doesn't typically dance in the backfield. Had a lot of, or did not have many negative runs. Um, you know, if there was, it was because there was early penetration for against that Arizona State offensive line. This is a guy that is really decisive getting downhill. He's also a very fearless runner. You know, He is not afraid to stick his head down and bowl through a crowd. Had a number of big runs open up for him just because he trusted the scheme, got downhill, and ran right off the backside of an offensive lineman. I love seeing that. He's a very tough, competitive runner. He's consistently running behind his pads, very tough to bring to the to the ground, and he was very effective in short yardage situations as a workhorse back in 2018 as a sophomore. He does a really good job running through contact thanks to his contact balance. Really, really impressive with his ability to stay upright and stay up. His contact balance is really, really good. He'll use a stiff arm. He'll spin off contact, find 
find creative ways to pick up extra yardage. He was moved into the slot at times. I thought he was a really, really natural receiver. He's not, again, not a dynamic athlete, but a guy that catches the ball really, really well and should be a really solid receiver in the NFL. Very confident hands from the running back spot. He doesn't have, from a negative standpoint, he doesn't have that instant speed, that explosiveness uh, that he's going to bust off big runs. I said he's not super dynamic. He did fumble twice in six games that I studied last year, so interested to see how his ball security has improved going into his junior season. And then ultimately, on third down, can he improve a little bit as a blocker? I thought he showed some flashes there. Really good cut player, but can he take on a blitzer and, t- and erase that guy, keep him away from the quarterback? That was something I wanted to see a little bit more consistently from him this year. Overall, I thought this was a guy that coming off his sophomore film, he trusts what he saw. He could make people miss. He's got really impressive contact balance, and he's got the he's proven that he can carry the load as a feature back in an offense. Can he be that guy in the NFL? That's going to be the question I want to answer when I watch him in his junior season here studying him on film. Honestly, on film, he reminded me of Kareem Hunt coming out of Toledo. I thought they shared a lot of the same traits. Kareem Hunt was not a dynamic athlete with Toledo, but he was a feature back, had really good vision and decisiveness, and his contact balance, his ability to run through contact and make people miss, really helped him to be very, very effective in the MAC. This kid has shown all those same traits in the Pac-12, so it's going to be a really, really fun study for me uh, as I go through and watch his film from 2019. All right, let's wrap this show up now. We're going to answer a couple of your questions at home from, from Twitter in our draft mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, well, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the best way to support this program, if you enjoy listening to this podcast every week, is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Just go and leave us a rating and leave us a comment. If you leave a question, we'll answer it here in this segment. We've got a couple of questions here. Uh, this time from Twitter. We petitioned for some questions. We got three back uh, that we really enjoyed. So here are the two of them here. Uh, Philly Studfeld. What safeties do you see being available when the Eagles pick? I think that's one position other than wide receiver that the Eagles may target. It could Grant Delpit be available? And I think, obviously, look, we don't know where the Eagles are going to be picking at this point. Uh, it, there's a lot of range of outcomes over these last three games. If the Eagles, you know, they go 3-0, they're going to be picking in the 20s, and in the mid-20s. If they go 1-2 and or 2-1 and and they lose the game against Dallas, they could be picking in the low teens. So that could d- definitely affect who's going to be on the board from a safety standpoint. I think the two names that you're really talking about are both underclassmen, so we don't know if they're going to enter, but that's Grant Delpit from LSU and Xavier McKinney from Alabama. Those seem to be the two big names. I studied Delpit over the summer. He is, the, to me, is the epitome of a post player. He's got sideline to sideline range, the ball skills to finish on the back end. He's got a little bit of a cornerback background. So from a coverage standpoint, everything's there. He's just an inconsistent tackler. That's going to be the one knock on him or one of the big knocks on him coming out is that he's got to be more consistent coming downhill and finishing one-on-one. That's going to be a big question with him moving forward. Xavier McKinney, I have not studied, but I will say this. Watching that Alabama secondary, you know, Trevon Diggs and some of the other guys that they've got there uh, on the back end, and just watching that team on TV, this kid is all over the place. He's used in the run game, or you know, he plays close to the box in the run game. He'll play on the back end in coverage and seem to be very effective there. Also, a great blitzer. So this is a guy that was used all over the field for Alabama in a lot of different ways. I'm excited to, to uh, kind of put some time in to studying him if he were to declare for this draft. But certainly a player we talked about him a little bit earlier uh, as well. That a guy that you want to be able to factor in uh, when you're talking about the you know potential first or second round picks at the safety spot in this draft. All right, uh, let's get to the next question, and that's from Jacob Hubler, 25. 
wide receiver, corner, or safety in the first round, who are ones that fit well? So we just talked about the safeties. I think for when you talk about wide receiver and corner, these are two of the best positions in this draft, and I think that that lines up very, very well for this Eagles team. When you look at wide receiver, whew, I, I mean, there are so many names, and we talk about them each and every week here on the show, but you look at that Alabama trio we talked about earlier in the show with Dane Brugler. You've got Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith. You've got LaVisca Chenault, a big-bodied kid who can run out of Colorado. CeeDee Lamb from Oklahoma. You've got the Clemson gr- uh, group with T. Higgins. Uh, it's a dynamic, dynamic. Or Jalen Rieger from TCU. The list goes on and on and on. There's a very, very good group of wide receivers in this class, so certainly no shortage of names there. Then you go over to cornerback. I think it's also a really, really good group, and a lot of it will depend on which underclassmen decide to come out, but you know, namely at the top, Ohio State corner Jeffrey Akuda is a big-bodied kid who can come down and strike a ball carrier, but also plays really good in coverage. I mean, he's instinctive. He's got the ability to play man or zone. He's athletic. He's a guy, certainly, to keep an eye on in the first round. Trevon Diggs is a personal favorite of mine from Alabama. Big-bodied kid who's got ball skills and will come downhill and challenge receivers as well. Uh, really, really good in press coverage. A very competitive corner. Christian Fulton, more of an off-coverage player. We talked about him earlier with Ben. He's athletic. and get in and out of breaks really, really well. He's got this long speed as well, but he's better a little bit off the ball in off-coverage. It's a really good group of corners overall. C.J. Henderson from Florida, Jeffrey Gladney from TCU. This cornerback group, very, very, very intriguing. So a lot of players uh, to cover from those two skill spots, but really good questions there from Philly Studfeld and Jacob Hoogler. Really appreciate everybody, as always, for listening to this show. We will catch up with you the next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. You don't, do not want to miss next week's show. We've got Ben Fennell's All-American team. It's always a fun episode. So we'll see you next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.